man. But good morning again. How's everyone doing? Let me ask you a question this morning. If you have your Bibles first, take them out to John chapter 4. Appreciate that. But let me ask you a question. What do you crave? What do you really long for? I'm going to circle back to that in a moment. At the end of the message, I'm going to talk about that again. But as, when it comes to food, what is that craving that you have? What is that go-to food that you go for when you really want to enjoy something? For some of you, it might be ice cream. I know that my kitchen starts to be hungry and stuff. Some of you might be that slice of pizza from that special place or some other tasty food. Or some, it might be that juicy burger with those cheese fries. That, boy, I just long for those, and I just love those. You know, in our culture, it's acceptable to indulge with all you can eat with, with your favorite food, right? I mean, let's face it, in the culture, we celebrate a hot dog eating contest where the human being eats 60-plus hot dogs and the bun in under 10 minutes, and we applaud it and celebrate it. We have uh, watermelon eating contests. We have pie eating contests, and we, fall, we call it fun and entertainment as we do that. And the reason I'm talking about this, because we're in our third week of our series, Acceptable Sins in Our World, Sins in Our Culture, and in the church, we don't feel really convicted by those sins anymore in our own lives. And so today, we're specifically looking at the sin of gluttony. Yes, you heard me right, the sin of gluttony. And some people say this is the most acceptable sin that you will find, uh, especially in American culture, because it's so subtle that it happens in our culture today, because everything we do, let's face it, revolves around food, doesn't it? So much of what we do revolves around food. It's usually the focal point at our family gatherings. I mean, let's take it. There's Thanksgiving. There's the 4th of July where we have barbecues. There's birthdays. There's weddings. Almost every holiday, we gather together around food, don't we? It's usually food has to be in the picture of those. And we know that food is not a bad thing in and of itself. The Bible doesn't talk like that. It's one of our basic human needs. It's a beautiful gift from God, amen? Food's a beautiful gift from God. But just like anything else, the, abu the abuse and misuse and overuse of food is just as damaging and just as deadly in any and all sin in our own lives. But gluttony is the sin associated with an unhealthy indulgence in material delights and material things. We usually think of food. However, it's just not eating to, to excess. It's just not food. It can indulge in drinking. It can indulge in, in kind of a, a lustful thoughts, social media, behavior, and, and similar types of obsessive love of material pleasure things. It's creating an idol of something material, usually consumable. But how do we really know, how do we really know where the line is between enjoyment and gluttony? How do we know where we've crossed that line? The answer is really simple, because gluttony is too much of a good thing. That's what it is, too much of a good thing. It creeps in when we try to extract more pleasure from something that it was designed for. And then gluttony happens, and then sin happens, where we demand more pleasure from something than God originally intended for us to have from it. That's when gluttony happens. So today we are looking at the main way people talk about gluttony is food, because the passage we're looking at is talking about food. But it's not just talking about food, really. It's talking about so many other things that's in our life. Anything that we can accumulate. It could be money. It could be entertainment. So many other things can be talked about with gluttony. But most of us won't often be tempted uh, to commit the most obvious sins, right? Like armed robbery or murder. Uh, Satan's too clever for that. He knows that we will recognize those temptations that when they come, the flagrant wrongs when they come, that we'll resist those, armed robbery and murder. Hopefully everyone say amen. Yes, we'll resist those, right? We'll resist those. So he's clever. 
His tact is to push something that's beyond the will of God until it becomes sin. That's what he does. Pushes something beyond the will of God until it becomes sin, where it becomes extreme. So physical rest becomes laziness. Ability to profit becomes greed. Quietness becomes non-communication. Enjoyment of finer things in life becomes overindulgence. Physical pleasure becomes sensuality. Communication becomes gossip. Enjoyment of food becomes gluttony. In the end, gluttony is not a food thing. It's not a material issue. It's a heart issue. That's what we're talking about this morning. It's a heart issue. So I don't want you to just be focusing on food this morning, that pastor's talking about food. No, it's a heart issue we're talking about. So this morning, we're going to see that God's mission satisfies a hunger deeper than food, money, entertainment, or anything else in our lives. So if you have your outlines and you have your Bibles, hopefully you have your Bibles turned to John chapter 4. There's two points to our outlines this morning, just two. So how to, uh, how to overcome gluttony in our lives. The first one, learn about the food of God's mission. Learn about the food of God's mission. So let's read verses 31 through 34. It says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, urged Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? Verse 34, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In order to understand what's going on here, we have to look at the beginning of the passage uh, because it's part of a larger story that Jesus is having a conversation with the woman at the well while he's resting there. And, and in the meantime, he, he told his disciples to leave and go into town to bring back some food for all of them. And Jesus stayed back because he's on mission, he's on assignment, he has an appointment according to the will of God the Father. And if you're familiar with this conversation he had the woman at the well, Jesus says to her, he tells the woman, whoever drinks from the water that I give will never be thirsty again. And of course, the woman hearing this, of tired of coming to the well, she says, give me that drink. I want that drink that you have. I have the water you have. She wants to have that water because she doesn't want to keep coming to this well. And what did Jesus do? If you know the story, he gently exposed her sin he taught her what it truly meant to worship God. Then he revealed to her that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And right at that time in the conversation, the disciples come back. And they were astonished that Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman right there. And just as they walk up, you can kind of picture it in your mind. This lady, this, the woman at the well, she drops her jar. She runs back to the town where she came from, and she begins to tell everybody about Jesus, but because he had changed her life forever with that one conversation that she had with Jesus right there. When the disciples come back, we know from the beginning of John chapter 4 that Jesus is tired and hung, tired from his journey, so he's probably hungry. And so the disciples tell Jesus in verse 31, he says, he says, why don't you eat? And Jesus says in so many words, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And remember the entire point for them going out of town was to get some food to bring back for the group and for Jesus to eat because they were all hungry. And the disciples look at each other and say, could somebody have given him something to eat? Maybe he got food from someplace else. Somebody must have given him something. You can imagine they're all confused because at the beginning of John chapter 4, Jesus goes from being hungry, thirsty, and tired from a long, weary journey of ministry to utterly being completely satisfied right here where we are in this passage. And so what changed? Well, physically, nothing changed. Spiritually, everything changed because Jesus just changed a person's life for all of eternity, right? He just changed this woman's life. And for him, after some pretty long, hard days of ministry, had to like be a breath of fresh air to his spirit. So he's completely satisfied 
in a way that no physical food could ever do for him. And that's why he says here in verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. By the way, Jesus is not negating food here. There's the importance of physical food that we need. He doesn't do that at all because food throughout Scripture is good for us, and it helps us, right? It's a beautiful thing that the Bible says. All we have to do is look at the Gospels because Jesus is constantly inviting people to join him, to follow him. And much of his ministry is centered around food, right? So much so, what does people call Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19? It says this, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard. So they called Jesus a glutton and drunkard because much of his ministry was centered around food. Let me give you two examples of that. When he reinstates Peter after Peter had denied him three times and after the resurrection, the setting is Jesus on the, the sea, uh, on, the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee there, and he's making breakfast, and he invites Peter and the disciples, come join me, come eat with me with this breakfast. And then when Jesus instituted the new, new covenant, the night before he's crucified in the upper room with his disciples, he says, come eat with me. He invites them to a meal, a meal we're going to be invited to in just a little bit at the end of the message. A meal, he invites them to message. So food is clearly something good that's designed for our pleasure and points us toward him, right? That's what food does, supposed to point us toward him. And, and good food can actually be an act of worship. It can. It can be an act of worship. It's supposed to be. Let me give you two words to prove it. Your taste buds. You ever think about your taste buds? There's no other purpose under heaven given to us for our taste buds than for your good pleasure, right, that God gave them. One person wrote this, and I, I like this. He says, on your tongue right now are 10,000 love notes from God. They're specifically and intricately designed to help you allow the gift of flavors in the food you eat. Each one uniquely performing a different function, letting up a different center of the brain, and as you eat it, all of them collectively forming one cohesive unit to produce a carnival of flavor in your mouth. Sounds great. That's what your taste buds do. Kind of over-dramatized it. But it's true if you have the palate. I don't, but others that I've met, they have the palate, and they can taste the food, and they know the difference of the food. And God has given us that for our enjoyment. But like anything else, our bent toward excess is what gets us into trouble, right? We take it to the extreme. And taking something beyond what God designed it to do, but what happens, it spreads like a virus to our soul. And so what happens, it's like all sin. We, we, we start to drift into worshiping the creation instead of the creator, and it cre creates havoc in our hearts. And that's what sin is. We start taking our eyes off of God, and we start looking at his creation and worshiping and, and lifting up his creation over the creator. And that's what sin is. And that's what we do when we start being gluttonous, when we have gluttony in our hearts and minds. So to safeguard our hearts and to get our, our eyes upon him, Jesus is challenging us, and he's encouraging us in our lives, don't let food, anything, or anyone else be the place where we run to be satisfied. Don't go to them to be satisfied. Because spiritually, he says there's a place of satisfaction. He said there's a place of peace and there's a place of fulfillment that runs deeper than any physical food or any physical thing could ever do for you. That's way deeper than our physical needs and our appetites. And he gives it that, what it is, and that's found in the calling of God in your life and mine. And he reveals that right at the end of the verse. He shows us. He kind of makes a switch down here at the next few verses. And from talking about food to talking about the field, he changes it instantly. Talking about food, he says, I'm talking about food. Now I'm going to tell you what's important. 
and he takes us over to the field. Let's look at verses 35 through 38. He says, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the same one sows and the other reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. In those verses, we get our second point to overcome the sin of gluttony in our lives. And number two is enter into the field of God's mission. Enter into the field of God's mission. I like how Jesus makes that switch. He goes from food to talking about the field and the harvest, about people in our lives is what he's talking about when he talks about the field. There's people in our lives. But I don't think it's so much as a switch. I think it's more of an application, amplification of verse 34, where he says, my food is do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus is using this agricultural analogy to describe what the work of the Father actually is. He's telling us right here what it is. And he says, it's sowing and it's reaping. It's sowing and it's reaping. That's the, the work of the Father that he has, sowing and reaping. That's an invitation to us for the people in our lives being offered the gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's given to us. You can offer this, the harvest, he's telling us. It's about waking up and looking out at the field. And, and you can realize in the fields that Jesus was talking about, probably the local fields right there. And he's looking out at the fields, and they're still green. They're saying the harvest is a long ways off. It's still a ways off. And today, we can look out at the fields, look at the corn across the street. What color is it? It's still green. The harvest is a way, ways off, he's saying. That physical harvest is a ways off. But he says, spiritually, the harvest is ready. The harvest is ripe right now. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for a couple months. We don't have to wait for four months, as it says here. Jesus is inviting us to partner with that, is what he's saying. I want you to partner with the harvest right now. Jesus kind of drives that point home because right after he says that, we find out in the Gospel of John, it writes that many Samaritans come out from the village to meet Jesus all because a Samaritan woman left that well and went back to Samaria and talked to these people in town about Jesus. Now they were coming to see who he is. Let's read verses 39 through 42. It says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. It was an unlikely Samaritan woman who ran into town sowing the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many people came to faith in Jesus. And what Jesus was doing right at that moment, he gave his disciples a front row seat to the power of God and what he was doing. And to a harvest, he says, that you had nothing to do with. The harvest you have nothing to do with. And all he says is, open up your eyes. And he says, open up the, and look at the fields. He said, open up your eyes and look at the field. Look at it. That's all he's asking them to do right there. Open up your eyes and look at the field. And he's saying the same thing to you and I. He's saying, wake up. Wake up. Just don't look down at the food. Wake up and look around. The fields are ripe for harvest is what he's saying. To us. Wake up. The fields are ripe for harvest. And that's all our job. That's our mission that we've all been called to in our life. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, to open your eyes and look around right at the place where Jesus has planted you, in your neighborhood, 
at your workplace, in your family, at your school. He's saying, open up your eyes. The harvest is ready. It's ready right now. We don't have to wait four months. We don't have to wait two months. It's ready right now. Our only job is to have open hearts and have open eyes is what he's saying. Hearts free from deadly and distracting pursuits, uh, from gluttony of the things of this world is what he's saying. That's what we have to have. Open eyes and open hearts, ready to be used by God. He's not saying to do anything else. Just open up your eyes and open up your hearts, what I want to do. And if you're asking yourself this morning, say, why are we talking about outreach and mission and reaching others for Christ when the message is about gluttony? Because everything we're talking about today in this message is about two things. It's food in the field. This whole passage is about food in the field. And Jesus uses this physical realities of food in order to remind us of a spiritual work that he's called us to do. It's a spiritual work is of the field. That's what was important to Jesus, not the food. It's the spiritual work of the field. And he uses our physical cravings, our physical appetites, because we always, we all get hungry, don't we? And he's using that to remind us that there's a work that's deeper that satisfies us, something better that satisfies us in a way that physical food can never do for any of us. He says, I've got a satisfaction for you that goes way beyond any physical food or any physical uh, enjoyment you can have. i got something way better. But then true to form, what Jesus does, he flips it upon its head. The way he does everything in his kingdom. He takes the things of this world and he flips it upon its head and he reorients our purpose and our priorities. And he says this to us, it's field first and food second. That's your priority. Field first and food second. And he's pointing to the fact there's something more satisfying in this life than just eat, drink, and be merry. And it's outside these doors, outside these walls, wherever you go, just open our eyes, and it's people. He said, that's what's most important, people. People need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, don't be so much enamored with the food. He said, I've got something to give you more enjoyment than any food, any experience you can have. And it's reaching those people out there. You want to have satisfaction? Do my work. That's where satisfaction comes. And that's what he's telling us. This entire series that we're going in these six weeks, it's going to be six-week series, is about soul care. And if anything gets uh, care of our soul or other people's soul, God is going to deal with it. And he's going to do it with grace. And there's going to be forgiveness there. There's going to be love there. But he's going to deal with it. Because ultimately, it's for our own goodness, for his glory, and it's for the salvation of others. He wants to reach other people for Jesus Christ. Not you and I just be about ourselves. Oh, I'm saved, and that's all that's good. He says, no, I want to use you now to reach other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As far as gluttony goes, it's a heart issue. And the heart of the issue is this, simply, we're using food and other things to get satisfaction for our soul. Just not about food. It's about other things we're using to try to find satisfaction for our souls, and it's wrong. It's sinful. We should not be doing it. The only way person we're supposed to get our satisfaction from is Jesus. True satisfaction. To have our souls truly satisfied is found in Jesus Christ. Everything else will fail you. Everything else will not measure up. It's only Jesus, and that's what he's saying. And it's something all of us can overcome with that gluttony in our lives. Not by willpower, not by a treadmill. Not by a diet. Those are remedies for a waistline. The only remedy for our soul is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only remedy. And Jesus is saying, food is good, but I've created and designed you for so much more. I've created and designed you to find your delight, your deepest and greatest satisfaction in the field, in people's lives. That's what he's saying. That's where your satisfaction will be found. 
that's what you're created for. That's what you're designed for. Not just to eat food, not just to go along this life, but to reach the, the, the harvest that I've given you. It's ripe. It's ready. The field, that's what he's talking about. And maybe some of you are struggling this morning because you've had it backwards for a while now. And because of that, there's nothing you can eat or anything you can do in it yourself that will gratify you enough or, or to eat enough to, to fix what's going on inside. Because what's wrong on the inside is the soul. It's at the soul level. It's deep. And none of those things that fix it. And physical food or physical experience can't do it. Uh, they were never de designed to do it, but we try anyway, don't we? We try in all kinds of things to do that. See the irony of it? We do all kinds of things trying to do different things in our life to satisfy us. Not that they're bad things that we do. They're not bad that we do, but we're trying all kinds of things to bring satisfaction in our life. Eating, going on vacation, those aren't bad things. Going to different uh, events, having all kinds of different hobbies, working long hours and involved in all kinds of sports, trying to find satisfaction in so many things, but we're never going to find it. That's what Jesus is saying. You will not find it in those places. They will not be found because our soul, it needs food. Our soul is sick for food. And the food he's talking about is spiritual food. And God himself, Jesus himself is offering us the food. He says, I'm offering the food to you. And if you see our memory verse today, is uh, John chapter 6, verse 35. He says this, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never thirst again. It's obviously that Jesus is not talking about physical food here. He knows the inside of every one of us has a longing and a desire for something deeper, right? Every one of us wants something deeper, something that we don't find that satisfies us in this world. We don't find satisfaction in the things of this world and the things that we do, physical experience or whatever it may be. And Jesus is telling us where to find it. And he says, where are you going to find your satisfaction? There's only one place. It's in him. It's only in him. Jesus Christ is where life is truly, truly found. It's only in him. And that's what he's trying to get across to the disciples. You want life? Follow me. You want life? Do my will. It's, see, it's soul-satisfying, vibrant, joy-filled, deep life. It's ultimately found in one person. It's in Jesus. Not found in the things of this world. Not found in all kinds of things we seek out and try to do and go see and all this. It's not found in those. They will never give you satisfaction. There's only one person that can satisfy your soul because you were designed and created to be satisfied by him and him alone. So we find our satisfaction in Jesus, not in other things, but in Jesus. And so many times we're trying to go here and do all these things. It just says, wait, I have food that will satisfy you. Your hunger and your thirst forever. Like nothing else can in this earth. Nothing in God's creation can satisfy you. Just look at the uh, Solomon as he writes in the book of Ecclesiastes. He had everything and nothing could satisfy him. He tried it all. That, was, that book was given to us to say, this world will not satisfy you. It will not satisfy. Only one and only person who can satisfy us is Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior yet, it starts there. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One person wrote that Jesus knew what he was buying on the cross. He knew everything about you as he was dying. And God doesn't want a cleaner version of you. God doesn't want a less struggling version of you. He just wants you, you with all the things that's going on in your life. He knows all your sins, and he says you're worth it anyway. He died on the cross for you anyway, no matter what you've done. So my question to you, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior today, right now? doesn't matter how many sins you've done. 
doesn't matter how many times you've done it. Don't many, doesn't matter how bad the sins are that you've done. The question is, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Have you allowed the blood of Jesus to cover your sins? Have you done that? Yes or no, have you done that? Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Or just come and say, God, I know I'm a Savior. I know I'm a sinner. And in the Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And today, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. You know, when you come to faith in Jesus, we give him our sins, and he gives us his righteousness. Do you know that? He gives us his righteousness. It's the most beautiful exchange in all of history. I give him my sin, and Jesus says, what I'll give you now is my righteousness. So once we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, God no longer looks at you and I as a sinner. But God looks at us through the shed blood of Jesus, and he looks at us that we are righteous. We have a right standing with him. We are right with God. That's our standing if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. We are right with God because of Jesus' death on the cross, that he paid for our sins. The root of gluttony is the lack of satisfaction. That's what it is. It's the lack of satisfaction in, in things. And so one author wrote, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And it's so true. So the question I asked at the beginning, what do you crave? What do you hunger for? What do you really thirst for? Has food or the excess of something in your life clouded your view to the cross? Has it clouded your view to the field? That you can't see it anymore, you don't see it, that it's ripe for harvest? Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. God can literally do heart surgery, you realize? God can literally change the desires of your heart to make them his desires. And that's what we need to pray. God, let my desires be your desires, right? So this morning, I want to challenge you to surrender whatever is in your life and ask God to help you delight yourself in him. Ask God to help you. God, let me be satisfied in you and you alone. Let me stop searching for things and, and, and places and people to satisfy me. Let me be satisfied in you, because that's where we find our satisfaction at. People search their whole life looking for something to satisfy them when they're missing it. Jesus, here I am. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that truly satisfies you for all of eternity. And he's right here, and he says, come to me, and I will not cast you out, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The rest is found in Jesus. We don't have to look for satisfaction. It is found in Christ, in Christ alone. And he promised every one of us. And I think it's so fitting this morning, because what we're going to do in a couple minutes here, we're going to do something that Jesus instituted for this exact purpose that we're talking about. Something we're going to physically do to remind us of our spiritual reality and a deeper mission that we all have, that we have, that he's called us to do, that the field is right, to go into the field. And before we take communion, something I want you to know that what communion is all about is about food and the field. Food and the field, that's what it's about. Because the exact reason Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he gave it to us, he says, every time that you eat, you remember me. Every time you drink, you remember that I called you. You remember my calling in your life and the work that I've called you to do, my invitation to you and the work that I've called you to do. And every time we gather together, gather together to worship the living God, he says, this food is to remind you of the field. Every time we take this food, it's to remind us of the field, of people, of lives that are lost that need to be saved. Every time we take it, it's to remind us of that field that Jesus died for. We're reminded. Before we take the elements this morning, we need to come and we need to respond. 
We need to respond by confessing any sins of gluttony that we may have in our lives that God might reveal to you, any sins that we're trying to find satisfaction. It's not about just excess of food. It's not about food. If you think it's about food, you missed my whole message. It's about anything in your life that you have in excess that you're trying to find satisfaction for your souls. So it could be entertainment. It could be social media. It could be a hobby. It could be sports. It could be your job. And the list goes on and on and on and on where you're trying to find satisfaction in another person besides Jesus. That you could just confess it. Or maybe God is stirring your heart about something else where you're trying to find satisfaction. Other than Jesus, it's a sin and it's wrong. And we need to confess it. Jesus, uh, just to remind you, there's no sin that the cross of Jesus cannot cover. He died for all sins, and his grace is sufficient to cover all sins, including yours. So whatever sin that God may reveal to you, whatever we have, we're supposed to examine our our own hearts, whatever it may be, that we confess it to God. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and then purify us from all unrighteousness. God promises that if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, when we come and confess our sin, he will forgive us. It's not an option. It's not maybe. He promised to forgive. So once we confess it, we leave the sin there and accept his forgiveness, right? That Jesus forgives us of, of our sin, whatever it may be. No matter how great it is, he promised to forgive our sin. So we leave it there. Remember, we remember Jesus when we take communion. That he died on the cross for your sins. He died in your place. He was your substitute. And he paid for your sin debt on that cross. Not his, for you. He died for you. So this morning, we remember Jesus. And as we take communion, we invite any who know Jesus Christ, your Savior. If you know him, we invite you to partake. We're not going to pass out the plates. We ask you, after I get done praying, come up and take the cups. There's one cup on top of the other. And then take it back to your seats, and we'll take them together, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come and we praise you. We praise you, God. There is no one, no one like you. For you love us so much that you care about us. You care about our soul, that you want us to walk with you. That, Lord, you didn't even come and just die on the cross for our sins. But, Lord, you care how we live for you each and every day. You care about all the other people out there that don't know you, the healed, the people. And so, Lord, as we come this morning, remember you, that you gave your all upon that cross. You shed your blood so we might have forgiveness of sins today, Lord. And we're so thankful for that. We remember the cost, the salvation cost you. And Lord, it was a free gift to us just by putting faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So Lord, I, I, we, we remember you and all you did for us. But Lord, we also want to remember the healed. That you just didn't die for us, but you died for all those other people out there in the world that desperately need to hear the message of Jesus. And that's where our true satisfaction comes, is, is in you and following you into the field. And so, Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us as we take communion, we examine our own hearts and minds this morning and see, Lord, if we're trying to find our satisfaction in so many other things, Lord, that may not be bad things, but, Lord, we're trying to find satisfaction for our soul, and there's only one person who can satisfy us, is you and you alone. So examine our hearts these next few minutes. So make sure we get our hearts right with you before we take communion, Lord, to confess any sin. And remember, Lord, by your grace that we were saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful for that. You did it all. You did it all for us. And so, Lord, we come as we take communion, Lord, as we worship you, remember you.
death, burial, and resurrection. So thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.